welcome back everybody to the rooted in logos podcast episode number 66 my name is brad and this week we are again recording live from our church going over deconstruction and the first part of progressive christianity we will wrap that part up next week and talk about a couple other issues next week we have about two weeks left of the live recordings i hope you guys are enjoying it those of you who are listening those of you who are not in our Sunday school class. We hope you are enjoying this kind of break and and somewhat of a different format. Uh, it's given us time to, well, me personally, time to catch up on some schoolwork and not have to worry about editing as much. It's also given Austin some extra time with the family and also given us time to plan for what we're going to do next. And we have a lot of ideas and we're pretty excited. We have a schedule made up. We're pretty excited for what's coming. So be looking forward to getting back to the recording and editing and, and back to our normal format. But until then, we got a couple more live episodes coming your way. We hope uh, that you've been blessed and you're benefiting the, uh, being benefited by these. Um, and we're just we're having a blast doing it. So if you'll do us a favor, jump over on Facebook or Instagram, follow us, uh, give us a like, shoot us a five star review on Apple if you have a minute. That would be awesome. We would greatly appreciate it. And uh, in the meantime, we will see you guys next week. And I hope you all enjoy episode number 66 of the Rooted in Logos podcast. Dear Heavenly Father, God, praise your holy and awesome and precious name. Thank you so much for yet another beautiful day on your green earth. Thank you for this time that has been given and this time that we're able to gather together and go through your word. I pray that as uh, we open up conversation that you would lead it and guide it and direct it that you would grant us your wisdom, soften our hearts, open our minds, and show us what you would have us do, how you would have us act. And it is in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so today, uh, a little bit different. I have no notes. He's got some. He's got a little bit of PowerPoint. But uh, we kind of would like a little bit of a conversation today. Uh, Today we're going through... Uh, progressive Christianity. We're going through a little bit of uh, biblical minimalism, what that is, and kind of trying to crack some eggs open in our our culture, as in church culture, and even the home culture that stems or that church should come from. Anyway, so we'll we'll dive into that. Brad's going to open up deconstruction a little bit more. And then we'll just kind of yeah. go from there. So for those of you who haven't been in here in a while, this is being recorded. You will show up on a podcast on Wednesday if you talk. So just keep that in mind that everything you say can and will be used against you uh, in our and podcast. It, and it will be. just Because I don't even edit this. I, I put it out <laughs> as it happens today. So, um, But don't let that discourage you. Yeah, ask get, questions. You know, get over it. That's so, fine. That's fine. <laughs> uh, so we're talking about deconstruction. I'm going to start there, and I mentioned this last week, and and uh, uh, I've adapted this from John Cooper. He did a big long Facebook co- post about deconstruction, and it's way more eloquent than I could ever be uh, about this topic, or that I have the energy to be about the topic. That'd probably be a better yeah, way to say. He's pretty it. energetic, no, but uh, <laughs> so I'm kind of just going to read some of this and kind of you know dive into what it actually is. Why we need to uh, look for honor agrees, but uh, <laughs> that's, all, that's all I need. I'm good. Why we need to kind of be on guard and and recognize this within our church if we see it within our church, within people in our church, and then people that we know in, in other places uh, as well. So um, here's what we're going to talk about here. It says there are people who have deconstructed or deconverted or disavowed the faith, 
and they are actually becoming uh, pretty popular. And they're gonna they, they kind of have a brand now, and they're becoming prominent. Um, you know, I think of a couple people that I've you know run across has has been a guy named Kevin Max. He was one of the lead singers of DC Talk back in the nineties. Um, he's deconstructed and deconverted. Uh, one of the guys I can't remember his name, but he was in the band Hawk Nelson. He's he's done the same thing. Uh, Josh was it Josh McDowell? No, no. Um, Joshua Harris. Yes. Josh Harris, yeah. Um, the I Kiss Dating Goodbye. We're all related. Not any time. Not that way. Yeah, well, not for several breaks back. Gotcha. But yeah, that that real real popular book, How, or I Kiss Dating Goodbye, that was out, I guess, when I was in youth group, um, that he's deconstructed, deconverted, and the list can go on, and you can find a lot of people that have done this. And so... Um, they're attacking the core principles of Christianity. And again, they're becoming popular. They're gaining a platform. Uh, some do it pretty aggressively. Uh, some do it pretty subtly. So either way, they're actively recruiting people to deconstruct. Uh, they often do this by making videos on why the Bible isn't reliable, why the God of the Bible is immoral, mean, bigoted, homophobic, transphobic, whatever obics you want to be. Um, they are you know, claiming this about God. They mock, they do this aggressively or subtly, those who still adhere to the belief that the Bible is the unchanging word of God. They seek out, again, aggressively or subtly, people who are struggling, sad, questioning, or having a bad day, and then they whisper to that, those people that it's because Christianity is oppressive. And that's a big word you'll hear, is that the Bible and Christianity is oppressive. It oppresses women. It oppresses homosexual, uh, homosexuals. It oppresses people who don't conform to the normal gender uh, gender uh, uh, stereotypes or, or, or um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm really tired, by the way, so this, is, uh, this might be a struggle. The, like the uh, be them days type deals? <laughs> no, the, um, the norms. Norms? No. Uh, roles. Gender roles. roles. Gender roles. Thank okay. you. Thank you, Chuck. That was exactly the what biblical, I meant to say. Biblical yeah. gender roles. <laughs> yes. So one definition you're going to hear from deconstruction, people are going to say that it means reading the Bible afresh and being willing to challenge your beliefs that may be based on traditional thinking. So this may sound harmless and sometimes virtuous, uh, but there are two major distinctions. First, there are those who hold to a conviction that the Bible is God's authoritative word and therefore approach, the, approach it with faith and they allow the Holy Spirit to guide them into deeper conviction of sin, deeper love for Jesus and his perfections, and deeper understanding of what is righteous and evil. That is what we want to do, Right. If you mean that when you say deconstruction, cool. Maybe choose a different term. But that is a good thing to do. Read the Bible, let the Holy Spirit guide you. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Yeah. How, you know, the Bible means what it means and how we apply it, that's the Holy Spirit coming in and says, hey, this is how you apply what you're reading. The other definition of this, and this is the more popular definition, is they read the Bible afresh but without faith and without belief that the Bible is God's authoritative word. They consider the works of its they consider the words on its pages of no greater or lesser importance than any other book, religion, or TikTok influencer. Rather they they use their own feelings and intellect to decide what they agree with and what they disagree with. So this is huge. Yeah. I'm a big proponent of not letting emotions getting in the way of your reading of the Bible and what you believe in your theology. Exegesis, eisegesis. And that's what deconstruction at its core is. It is letting your emotions get in there. It's, again, God is mean. God is bigoted. God is 
whatever. He's oppressive. <clears throat> That's the core of this. And you're starting to see that a lot. I, I've seen people on Facebook that I know that I've gone to school with, gone to church with, done ministry with, who are saying these things <laughs> because they're allowing their emotions to get into it. And again, you know, we're in June, right? June is what? Pride month. Pride month, right? It's a celebration of all things... Prideful. Prideful. I <laughs> never got that one. <laughs> um, and, and we are bombarded constantly with this idea that we need to be accepting and loving and accepting. And not just accepting and loving in a way of like, okay, I don't agree with this. I don't agree with your lifestyle, but I love you as, as Christ commands us to love each other and love others. It goes beyond that. It's not only do I love you and accept you, it's I accept your behavior, and I cannot and will not tell you that your behavior is against the Bible or is wrong or immoral. You do you, I'll do me. That, right. That type deal, yeah. And we're getting a part of that every day, and so people are starting to think, okay, well, if I believe the biblical definition of marriage, or I believe in the de- biblical definition of gender roles, then I must be bigoted. So therefore, the Bible can't really mean that. And God's a God of love, right? So therefore, God won't ever condemn what we do or how we live or how we right. behave. So the Bible can't really mean that. And so you're, again, you're seeing that more and more, and we're getting bombarded with it. And what hap- what's happening is those who are weak in the faith, those who don't have a solid foundation, a solid grounding of the Word of God, they're able to be led astray, be led astray and be yeah. deceived and be, as the Bible says, be led astray and, and drifting like the ocean, Right. You have that verse? I do. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So I'm going to use a definition from gotquestions.org slash deconstruction. And here's what this or here's what the definition that they are using is, and this is the one that when we talk about it and when you hear us mention it at any point, this is the definition we're going on. Deconstruction is the heading most recently applied to the process of questioning, doubting, and ultimately rejecting aspects of the Christian faith. It is an application of deconstructionism, an approach that claims to dissemble beliefs or ideas while assuming their meanings are inherently subjective. So that's a lot of words to basically say this comes from subjectivism. This comes from the idea that truth is whatever you want it to be in the moment. Right. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. And that's okay. Are you using deconstructionism and progressive Christianity? Uh, <laughs> I don't. Okay. I, I have two. There are two distinctions to me. Could you they have similarities, but the other yeah, distinct. What would you say would be the distinctions or the major ones? So uh, we'll get into that here in a minute. Okay. Quit jumping the gun. <laughs> so I have eight points of progressive Christianity that will help clarify that once I get to it. Well, so. And, and so what we're defining a little bit more is, so deconstruction is, okay, construction is building, deconstruction is tearing down. What they are doing is, okay, I'll say what they're actually doing and then what they think they're doing. So what they're actually doing is, They are taking the construction of the church by which God, Christ, laid the foundation. He set his apostles to build upon that foundation, as Paul refers to multiple times throughout his letters, that he is laying a foundation and people are building off of his. And then Christ is laying this foundation. So this foundation of the church, as in the whole church, universal church, how 
over the past 2,000 centuries or 2,000 years, 2,000 centuries, okay. Anyway, the church has been built up. And as Peter calls us, living stones being built together as a royal priesthood to build the temple. That is what we are. What they are doing is trying to tear it down, to deconstruct it. Now, you have two forms of deconstruction. One is like the people that we've mentioned where they deconstruct their faith and they turn away. And they are apostate. They are leaving the faith and they're no longer calling themselves Christians. But then you have the other side that they are deconstructing, deconstructing, but they still call themselves Christians. And what they're doing is they're going through Scripture and saying, that doesn't actually mean what you all think it means. Or this doesn't mean what our uh, early church fathers and the, the reformists and the Puritans have said it meant for the past 2,000 years. All of a sudden, within the past, what, 30, 40 years, now it means something completely different, and you guys don't know what you're talking about. And, I, again, like we said, th this is probably one of the most dangerous things in our church age right now. Um, there are other movements going on, but this one has taken hold, and it's deep. I will say, too, one distinction that I would make now is deconstruction is a lot more personal. It's a lot more individual. It, it, it's kind of person by person having their own journey. And progressive Christianity is infiltrating a church, right? And the church itself, individual church, not big church, but individual churches are putting these tenets into their services, into their teachings, into their theologies and beliefs. So that's kind of where I make the distinction. Deconstruction is pretty just kind of self. It's what my journey that I'm going through to rip things out of the Bible I don't like or eventually just get rid of it altogether. Right. And the progressive Christianity is not just ripping things out of the Bible. They don't like, they're changing it and then preaching it from the pulpit. Yeah. So, so second Timothy chapter four, verse two through three, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. That's where we're, we are here right now. And this part of it, it is not a new thing. It's just a refresher. Look back at what did Satan say to Eve? Did God really say that? And that's what they are saying now. It's like, do, did they actually say that? Or, okay, they said that, but that didn't mean what you think it means. And... For them, it's, oh, well, well, we talked about it last week. It's like, oh, well, I have these scholars that I listen to that are able to go back and read the old Hebrew and the Aramaic and the Greek, and they know what it means. And it's like, okay, but everyone for the past 2,000 years, these, these men that have literally soaked in Scripture their entire lives. Uh, as I said last week, Paul Washer, he says, these men have forgotten more about God than probably any of us will ever know. And they've all said, this is what it means. And they've all agreed. But now within the past 30, 40 years, you have all these new theologians and new historians saying, oh, no, that, that's not right. It, it's this. And it, it's, it's heresy. It is. It's, it's very dangerous. That's why we're, we're going through this. And this is... Again, apologetics um, sometimes might not seem like that, but 
apologetics then this is what we're fighting this is what we're fighting as individual christians but also as the church we we have to be fighting this so just kind of in summary true deconstruction leads to rejecting absolute truth uh it's the core tenet of postmodernism um the the idea that again there is no absolute morality no absolute truth What's true for you is is true for you, and that's cool, even if it differs from what's true for me, and that's okay. So it, it's a relativistic. But it's not okay on my bank statement, <laughs> on my prescription, or a hundred other things. Right. Nobody lives in a true post. Nobody absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right. It, it, it doesn't logically work out at all. Um, but this is what people say. I mean, like socialism. Uh, yeah. Well, it, it'll work better for us. I think. Chris texted me uh, last week and was like, hey, we should watch the documentary What is a Woman uh, at some point in here. <laughs> and yeah. while I think that'd be great, um, we're not necessarily going to, but it's they live in this idea that a woman, the word woman can be defined in any way you want it, it defined. It means whatever you want it to mean. And, and, and you start pushing and you start saying, okay, let's get to this logical conclusion here. Let's try to follow your belief system or your claims to their end. They don't hold up. They don't make sense. What you end up with is everything is subjective and truth is relative, which are both objective statements. And <laughs> right. Yeah. Your logic ain't logicing right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so the term deconstruction, and and this is a direct quote. It says, "I fear that the term deconstruction is being manipulated to soft pedal something into the faith that we should not allow." It is not a term that has been used historically within Christianity to describe reformation or doctrinal faithfulness. So we are not using this word as something to say, okay, again, let's dive deeper into the Bible and let's really shore up our belief system, which is our goal. It's being used to deconvert. So whether or not we agree on terminology, it is being used deceitfully by those who truly do wish for Christians to not only deconstruct their faith, but also to deconvert. Um, I think I said this last week. I have never read an article or, or read a post from somebody who is deconstruction who has fallen more in love with Christ or gone closer to him. It is always 100% of the time, 10 out of 10, they've left the faith and they're just not Christians anymore. I think uh, Kevin Max cl- uh, coined the term or used the term. I don't know if he coined it, but a ex-evangelical, a yeah. former Christian. Yeah. So... Um, Pretty dangerous stuff. Again, it, it's it's creeping into our churches more and more. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, whenever he was talking about his deconstruction journey and, and the people he was listening to, the podcast he was listening to, he said the advice he's gotten is don't put an end goal on it. Basically meaning, like, the encouragement is you could leave the faith and that's fine. Like, this yep. is a personal story I'm hearing from someone. It's that, a like, free flow, man. Yeah, it's, it's you, you yeah. could deconvert and deconstruction worked. So... This isn't an encouragement to grow in your faith by any means. Drugs it's an encouragement to make faith work for you. That means getting rid of it altogether. Right. right. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. Um, so here's a, here's another verse. In, but the Spirit, Holy Spirit, God's authority, ex- expressly says that in the latter times, many will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and yeah. doctors and doctors and demons. That's, where we'll, that's what you're talking First about. That's what, that's what you're seeing. Yeah. That's Second Timothy four yeah. one. Four one. Absolutely. So uh, no, First Timothy four one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When he went to Second Timothy, I was like, oh, he's on it. Yep. No. Yeah. First Timothy four one. So. so 
a lot of these ex-Christian influencers are basically encouraging people to deconstruct by offering an inclusive space to have doubts and questions. Um, but that inclusive space is designed to actually, again, lead you completely away from the Bible and away from what it teaches. So what they mean is it's okay to question, it's okay to doubt. You just have to forget everything you've ever been taught, become a blank slate, start completely over. Maybe your faith will be more like a mixture of Christianity and humanism. Maybe you'll become someone who still loves Jesus, but Jesus won't be defined by the Bible because God is bigger than the Bible. It might be subtle. It might be persuasive, but they're poisonous. Um, they are tempting. They are very tempting to many Christians because they fall in line with current pop culture. And that's what it boils down to, right? It's we are conforming our churches or our own faith individually to the culture and to what is right today. Again, 15 minutes ago, we could define the word woman without any question, and now we can't. Yeah. Well, and we are conforming we, our own belief system and our own churches into to look like. Okay, yeah, we can. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So, does this world non-believing culture does it hate ex-Christians? So, if you see someone like Kevin Max, you see someone like uh, Joshua Harris. Does the world hate them? No. 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 They actively support them, they, right? They promote them. Come over to our side. They our say, side this guy is what a real Christian looks like, yeah. right? That's what they do. Yes. They Have you ever seen an ex-Christian influencer make the secular culture angry because of their stance on a culture war, such as an issue like abortion? No. You haven't seen that. We won't see that. Because ex-Christian influencers tend to align with everything that is culturally popular and acceptable. And you can bet that whatever the next faux pas begin, uh, begins to have culture... Wow, I butchered that sentence. <laughs> Going off notes. <laughs> and you can bet that, whatever, that whenever the next culture faux pas begins, they will be on the right side of history, but on the wrong side of the Bible. So again, whatever the next issue becomes, whatever the next issue is, they will... Ex-Christians, those who have deconstructed, will be on the quote-unquote right side of history on right. this. They will agree with the pop culture. Well, and they look at things like, okay, say abortion. They're like, when they deconstruct, they're looking at like, okay, yeah, we, we think life is important. We think life is, is good, but we still believe in your, your right to choose. And it's like, okay, you're literally, you're contradicting yourself. If you think life is important, but you believe that it is your right to choose to kill this baby, murder this baby or not, it's like, do you actually believe life is important or no? It's like, well, well uh, Exactly. It's like, no, that, that is a, a life, so do you think it is important to save that life or not? And mo more times than not, you can't actually get them on a answer because they don't know. Because they have gone away from the truth, and they don't have an answer. You know, I, I, there's a, uh, a couple podcasts I listen to that are like kind of sports-related and, and just not religious-based at all. Um and one of the hosts of this show is claims Christianity, and it drives me nuts when he does it because he talks about not just his political beliefs, but just his beliefs in general. And they are so opposed to what the Bible says. You know, he talks about being a Christian but being pro-choice, and I, I just you can't reconcile those two things. It doesn't work. Um, and so again, when you start to see people in, in your life within our church, within your friend group, within the people you, you surround yourself with, even on social media or whatever, 
And you start to see them aligning with these issues, aligning with the LGBTQ, AILMNOP people. Uh, or you start seeing people agree with the pro-choice side that are up in arms about Roe v. Wade potentially being overturned potentially yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. You, you start – this is where you, your red flag should go up. You should be like, okay, this person is starting to drift from biblical truth. Right. Or this church is starting to drift from biblical truth. And that's when you start – that's when apologetics kicks in. And you can say, look, guys, like <laughs> right. this is why we have held to these beliefs for thousands of years because of what the Bible says because it's true. Well, um, and the Bible tells us what to do. So Galatians chapter 2 verse 11 <laughs> Uh, this is Paul opposing Peter. It says, But when uh, Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like a Jew? This is where we get the public rebuke. When someone who is claiming Christianity, someone who claims to be a brother or a sister, is acting contrary to the gospel, contrary to scripture. What is our job? Our job is to go to them and confront them. Now, if if they are speaking in public to everyone else, it is your job to go to them in public and say what you are doing is wrong and unbiblical. Now, if, if it is not public, then you are to go to them one at a time. But Peter was doing something not good. And it's kind of a, a Peter thing to do as we see through the, the first four Gospels. Um, he is eating with the Gentiles. He is doing Gentile things. But as soon as other Jews come around him, he separates himself and is like, oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm doing Jewish things over here. And what is happening is he leads people astray. Barnabas. Barnabas comes with Paul. And he's a really good friend of Paul. And Paul is watching this happen and leading Barnabas astray. And Paul steps up and he, he tells Peter exactly what he's doing, what he did wrong, and what he needs to do. That is what we're supposed to be doing as well. When we have brothers and sisters, even if, even if you don't know them personally, we do because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. As they say, as Corinthians says, love believes all things. If they are claiming it, we believe it. We might not see any fruit of which we are to judge. But if they're claiming it, we are to call them out. So we address them. We go to them and say, look, what you are doing is, is wrong. It is contrary to Scripture. And then when they come back with, no, I'm not, then kicks in your apologetics. Then kicks in, okay, let's go to Scripture. And then you work through Scripture, but then it turns out they don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture then why all bets are off there. That's and that's like, what we I'll were. Just pray for you. <laughs> yeah, and that's what we were hoping to do with these last few weeks is kind of give you guys that foundation and say, okay, yeah. here is kind of what we're believing and why we believe these things are true, why we believe the Bible is reliable, and then just dive into 
these issues that we're seeing, progressive Christianity, uh, uh, deconstruction, so you know what we're up against, right? We may not necessarily in, this, in today be saying, here's how you fight this. We're trying to define it and say, hey, this is what you need to look for. And look for it in yourself, too. If you start to find – if you find yourself starting to agree with the culture a little more than you used to and you start to say, okay, you know what? Actually, he says it here. It says it's really easy and tempting to say I'm a spiritual person who may still kind of be into Jesus, but not really, but sometimes, even though God isn't real. Kind of be able to be wishy-washy, right? Like it's, it's easy to be wishy-washy. Easy yeah. to say, hey – you know, I kind of believe this. It makes me feel good, but also like I want to be really nice to these people and want to affirm them. So I'm gonna kind of stay over here too and be like, all right, this is fine too. Yeah, this is okay. If you start finding yourself tempted by this, that's when the again the apologetics yeah. for yourself kick in yeah. and you say, okay, does this align with scripture? Do my beliefs match what I'm starting to feel because of the cultural pressure, because of yeah. just what they're bombarding us with on a daily basis. This is what I believe, and this is why I believe it. So um, I'm going to, again, quote from from this, uh, this kind of analogy he uses. So he says, pretend, you're, pretend your kid is heading off to college. You hope that he is finding himself growing into a mature adult, making his own daily decisions, and that he still brushes his teeth. The deconstruction argument, meaning you start with a blank slate and rethink everything you believe, may say that you should find out how to live on your own. Perhaps teeth brushing is one of those unnecessary rules or traditions that parents use to try to control kids. Perhaps dental care and gum health is code for Western patriarchal colonialism. Having healthy teeth isn't necessarily good. It's simply what the reigning cultural powers preferred. And so they declared it good as they dominated others with their oppressive belief in oral hygiene. On the other hand, maybe as he goes into the world, he will believe as a presupposition that you love him and trained him with knowledge and wisdom to keep him safe, to help him thrive, and to choose things that bring life, not death. Perhaps he will continue to brush his teeth, realizing that wisdom that is passed down from generation is, wait for it, actually a good thing. So again, it is understanding again what the agreement has been for thousands of years about Christianity, about the Bible, that maybe that's not bad. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's where we need to land on these issues. So no matter how you define the term, beware of the approach of true deconstruction. The person who reads the Bible in faith will accept the things that are from the Spirit of God. On the other hand, the Word of God seems foolish to those who are without the Spirit. Someone do me a favor and uh, look up 1 Corinthians 2 and read verses 11 through 16. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. 
For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So that's what it boils down to, right? It boils down to reading the Bible in faith and allowing the Spirit to illuminate its meaning, its application, illuminating how we apply it to our lives and how we apply it to the culture around us and how we interact with the culture around us. Yes, do we treat those who believe differently than us with believe differently than us with hostility? No, we shouldn't. I mean, we probably, we do sometimes, I'm sure. But do we treat them with hostility when they come into our church? No, no, we shouldn't. If if a gay couple walks into our church, do we shun them and say they have to leave? Absolutely not. We we treat them with love, we treat them with kindness and respect and dignity, but we also don't affirm their lifestyle. We don't then say, "Okay, we're glad you're here. Also, we're glad you are who you are, and you don't need to change at all. Come, please teach our Bible studies and our men's Bible studies. Yeah, uh, I was uh, years a few years ago. I was um, kind of in a relationship with somebody who was going to another church, and she said, "You know, this church is so great because they're so inclusive." And immediately, I'm like, "Okay, what does that mean?" <laughs> And they said, well, you know, we serve communion every week, and, and uh, there's different ushers that, that serve communion each week, and there's a gay couple that serves communion every week. And that's just one. That's just awesome. I love it. It was the end of that relationship, first of all. But, again, it's in our churches. It is happening a lot more than, than we probably realize. It is, well, and that not only are they accepted in, which is what we should do. Yes, they come. Come in. God does the changing. We don't. We welcome you in. The Holy Spirit takes over from there, the truth. and we present exactly we present the truth. But they're not only welcoming them in, but they're putting them in leadership roles. They're, putting, they're okay. allowing them to do things within the church that they shouldn't be allowed to do. And again, affirming that lifestyle. So this again is is being led by the Spirit, being able to read the Bible as the inerrant Word of God, and and guess what? It means what it says. It means. Um. So it is possible for someone who once believed that the Bible was true and had been blessed by reading it and implementing it can now begin to approach the Bible with faithlessness. That same life-giving book can seem like foolishness. You look at Proverbs 14, verse 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So I'm going to kind of close out the deconstruction side of this. Uh, again, with just direct quoting from, from his post, it says, There is no other foundation to build your life upon that leads to life other than Jesus Christ. His word is forever. His word never fails. Beware of those who teach another gospel, especially if they tell you everything you want to hear and conveniently leads to applause from the world. Just because they are subtle instead of aggressive does not mean that it is not a brazen attempt to lead you out of the faith. If anyone reading this or listening to this chooses to deconstruct without holding on to faith in the authority of Scripture as a conviction, you're still loved, you're still accepted, just as you would if your kid stopped brushing his teeth. You would still love that kid, you'd still accept that kid. But I fear that your teeth will fall out. So again, I fear your faith will fizzle out. If you're deconstructing and you're not reading the Bible with, in faith, your faith is going to fizzle. And it becomes a major problem. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. Someone else grab that one for me. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So it boils down to this. When you know we've gone through 
kind of why the Bible's reliable. We've talked about some of the actual facts about that, about the manuscripts. We've talked about why we believe we're able to interpret the Bible, why we believe God has preserved his word through the generations. That is the foundation you start with. Start with the scriptures being the inerrant and infallible word of God. It doesn't make mistakes. It doesn't contradict itself. We're going to talk about that either next week or the week after about contradictions that are found in the Bible and how we can kind of respond to that, providing we get through everything today. Yeah, right. But apparent contradictions. Apparent contradictions. Yes, that's right. Um, the Bible is where we start. And if everything you're starting to believe, if the thing, the, the temptation is, again, to go along with the culture, and to get that applause, to get that praise, to be on the quote-unquote right side of history on these issues. If you start to feel yourself drifting in that direction, that's when you really need to dive into the Word. Talk to somebody about it. If you see your friends, like Austin said, call them out. Talk to them. Obviously, do it in love, right? You do it with respect and gentleness. But you say, guys, this isn't right. And I'm, I'm, I'm worried about you because of this issue. Because you are starting to, again, drift into the world. A good rule of thumb. If it doesn't make a progressive Christian mad, like your belief system doesn't make a progressive Christian mad or uncomfortable, you're probably not doing it right. <laughs> yeah, right? right, yeah. Because, again, and we're going to go through the eight points here. I think we've done, Simon may have done this. I talked about it on Sunday one time. Yeah, um, and we've talked about it before on our, on our thing. <laughs> but uh, eight points of progressive Christianity. If you start to align yourself with these things, because, again, there are nuggets of truth in most of this stuff because that's how they do this. If they came right out and was blatantly saying the Bible is completely false, no one would really listen. That at least they shouldn't. Right. Christians shouldn't listen. But they have little nuggets of truth in there mixed in in order to deceive. And that's what a lot of this does. So if you find yourself aligning with these things, it, it's time to start getting back into the Word and start kind of doing some research. So I got these from progressivechristianity.org. You can go find them. It is on their website. It is on a lot of churches' websites. I found a few different churches that have these same eight tenets on them. So the eight points. First one, progressive Christianity believes that the that following the path of the teacher Jesus can lead to healing and wholeness, a mystical connection to God, God in quotes, by the way, as well as an awareness and experience of not only the sacred, but the oneness and unity of all life. What in the world does that mean? Can anybody point out real quick uh, just blatant heresy? <laughs> uh, right off the bat, first line, uh, path of the teacher, Jesus. Yes. So Islam. Islam believes that Jesus is a, is a prophet, that he is a, a great teacher. Uh, a lot of people believe that. But what do, what do we believe? We believe that he is the son of God, that he is God. God in three, God in one. Anything else? <laughs> what other what other thoughts on on this one point here that, that kind of stick out to you? A mystical connection. Mystical connection. God. Yeah. <laughs> there it they are very much there is more than one way to God. And we don't know which which God that is. Yeah, I think it's not it's a it's a small thing. There's a lot of big things in there, but there's a small <laughs> things like and a mystical, not the mystical. Right, a or, mystical connection. Yeah, um, I think that, and um, yeah. Well, uh, the unity, the unity of all life. Technically, not everything is unified. It's when people put their faith in Christ that makes them unified. So, people who don't believe that would not be 
like everybody else. Right. It, it sounds and harsh. That go against each other in the Bible. Unless you yeah. believe in the force. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 this sounds harsh, but like I don't want to be unified with a lot of people. We are called there not are people, to be unified biblically. Yeah. I do not want to be unified with people that hold to these eight principles here. I don't want to be unified with people who can't define the word woman. I don't want to be unified with those people. The funny thing is they don't want to be unified with us either. They want to conform to <laughs> Right. They, they want, yeah. Well, and deconstructed. I'm just wondering like how much energy we should put into this because aren't we always going to come to a standstill with people that don't believe the Bible is the absolute truth? I mean, isn't that what it would always come down to? It is. I mean, yeah. And, and, and that's it. It's okay. Well, it leads into my. So, so, so can I say? No, I want to beat you too. Um, <laughs> I, like, I think a big reason we need to put energy behind this is progressive Christianity really needs to take a new name. It, it's it's an, it becomes a gateway drug for Christians to just not be Christians anymore because it takes on the name progressive Christianity when it's. When you go through these eight points, you realize this isn't Christianity. This is just yeah, spiritual spiritualism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think that's why you put energy into this is because whenever you you hear your friends say I'm going to this new church, you might have to start just checking those churches and be like, hey, actually, don't go to that one because you're going to go there, think it's Christianity for a while, and then you're going to be out of it. Again, it's that idea of like, I, I was here yesterday. And today I'm over here. How did I get there? You kind of blink and you look and like, wow, how did I get from there to here in my belief system and the way I thought and the way I was taught? And I think another distinction between deconstruction and progressivism is this progressive Christianity can lead to deconstruction. No, I think this deconstruction is progressive Christianity. Or, or Simon, maybe, is right. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I think if you start to see this creeping into churches, you, you start to see these eight principles creeping into your church – or churches of those around you, or churches around you, then the individuals that start to question everything, yeah, mm-hmm. or vice versa, you start to question your faith. If like you're going to you're going to this church as a Bible believing church, and you as an individual start deconstructing, then you're going to leave this church and go somewhere that makes you feel a little better, right. makes you feel less less uncomfortable, makes you feel more one right. with unity of all life. Yeah. So, so this is the definition of life. This is Eastern mysticism yes. packaged for the Western culture. Absolutely. Yeah, the relative yeah. truth thing has been around for a long time. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yes. It's just newer over here. Yeah. And I, I had an answer, but, but how, mine's how really this, long, so I'm going to wait till the end. How is this <laughs> making it into churches? Because people that believe this, like if, if you go to a progressive church, David, you're going to leave halfway through the service. People who believe this will come to our church and stay and try to find a leadership role and try to influence it. Okay, I'm gonna. I, I, yeah. I agree with that. But here's I'm gonna. I'm gonna give you something else. We have abandoned God and Scripture in our culture. We have an entire generation that does not know the Word of God. Yes. The when I, when I was in first grade, I had to stand and quote the uh, uh, Lord's Prayer in the first grade in a public school, and. Whether you believed it or not, you were exposed in some way to the Word of God. You had some idea of what it said. You may reject it, right? but you had some idea. It was hard to live in America and not have some idea of the Word of God, about something about sin and hell, or 
Jesus, you know, was God, or the church says he's God. Today, we have an entire generation that doesn't know that, and they don't know their Bible, right? And I think another so, reason... So if you don't know the Word, it's easy to get, because they take bits of this and What's twist it. it. Yeah. They That's, take pieces, just like just right. like Satan did, and, and you keep going back to uh, Genesis 3, yeah. right? Yep. Just like Satan did, they take bits of Scripture, bits of the Word of God, and then add falsehoods to it, and right. then twist it all up. Nuggets of truth. It's easily, easy to get misled. And That's why I think we have to... We have to stand and, and seek the seek people who are who are weak in their faith and weak in the word of God and get them back in the right. word of God, right? And and it's That's biblical. We, we, we see that. We see that all throughout the Old Testament where God gets Israel to come back to him. And that generation is good. They're they're good. They're there. And then the next generation, they're still there, but they're slowly slipping away. And then the, by the third generation, they're gone. Why? Because the fathers did not teach their children what they were supposed to teach them. And by the third generation, they had no knowledge of God. And we're seeing that today. And it, it starts with, with just a little foothold, right? It starts with like one person from, from the stage saying one thing that's a, that kind of makes you go, that's a little, I don't know. It's a little, but then it's like, okay, everything else they said was fine. So we'll ignore this one little thing. Well, then a few weeks later, they say something else and they're like, that feels a little off, but again, everything else I said was fine. And that first thing I said seems a little better compared to that. And it just, it, it becomes a, kind of a slow fade. It's this idea again of like, how did I get here? Right. When 10 minutes ago I was over there. It's because we let some of these small things kind of creep in. These, even just one part of this one or, or one of these eight kind of starts to creep in. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're full blown deconstruction and progressive um i just moved from california and the three years i was out there i made a lot of friends some of them are now believers that weren't before praise to jesus but a lot of them grew up not understanding the truth of scripture like you're saying they had no one to teach them that and the culture has been their teacher since they were a little kid yeah and so this type of teaching just makes sense to them because it's blended with the culture. So it's right. really hard and it's really important for my generation especially to understand what the Bible says because everybody around us thinks this is normal and it makes sense. Yep. So if we don't understand and we're not able to hold to the truth, it's going to get lost like you're saying. Exactly. Down. Well, and, and that's it. This movement, this movement solidifies the desires of your flesh. And if you have all this, these new generations coming up and they're like, well, it doesn't feel wrong, so it can't be wrong. It's like, well, no, if it doesn't feel wrong, that means it's wrong. If, you're, if your flesh likes it, if your flesh desires it, if it affirms what you like, it's wrong. It's sinful. It's, it's bad. It's a bad thing. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, sorry. I think sometimes the, the church itself is part of the problem or can be we're losing members what do we need to do to get more people in we've got to get some more money in and they start maybe preaching with omission because right. well i don't want to hurt you know i know these people have been are having an affair but he really contributes a lot so we're <laughs> not gonna we're not gonna talk about adultery anymore it's the watering down of exactly. the scripture and and yeah so not only are the people, do the people need to be, you know, aware of what the people are saying, but 
they need to know for sure what just like David said, they've got to have the scripture in mind as well because it comes from everywhere. I go back to the Bereans a lot when talking about stuff like this, where Paul says, you know, be like the Bereans, who everything I said to them, they have checked with scripture. Yeah. They went beyond what I was saying and went to the Bible to see if it contradicted anything or if I contradicted anything they said. That's what we want you to do. That's what I think Pete would want you to do. Everything he says, everything we say, everything Kevin says when he's teaching, everything that is being taught from this church, you need to be able to go back to Scripture yourself and make sure that we're not contradicting it. Right. I think it's a great practice because it it allows us to avoid those situations that you were talking about. It allows us to avoid this kind of trickling in of these ideas because the congregation as a whole is on their own individually Getting into the Word and making sure that what is being taught within the church walls is solid and yeah. is affirmed by the Scriptures. Oh, I, <laughs> this is the first church that I've been to that um, church wasn't a like a pep talk to get you through your week. I thought that's what church was. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was like just supposed to be um, a feeding to get you through the but week. But not really learning. I never really learned biblical. I didn't learn anything really about the Bible. It was just like be a good person, you know. Yeah. Right. So I had a uh, market-driven, yeah. seeker-sensitive. Right. Yeah. The whole that whole Church of Terrors movement. Yeah. Yeah. When I when I was first in Bible college, uh, one of my professors was an interim pastor at the church I was attending, and. When I say it felt like on a Sunday morning I was sitting in my theology class with him, that's exactly what it was. It was he was legitimately going through and teaching deep theological uh, uh, concepts and ideas to the congregation instead of these fluff pieces, instead of these you know, yeah. you know, sir, uh, you know, pep talks, you know that that we hear so often now. Um, that you're you're a good person. God loves you just the way you are. Okay, okay, God loves you. But you still need to change, and there still needs to be some sort of, you know, lifestyle changing as you conform to him. Right. You know, well, um, and that's where we get that expository teaching. You go through the books of the Bible, every single one of them. You don't get to want to be like, uh, um, there's a part in there I don't want to discuss, so I never teach on Hebrews, or I never teach on Romans. No, you teach through the entire book. That yeah. is the Bible. It's going to make you uncomfortable. It is going to make you uncomfortable. It should, and make people you will disagree with you probably. Yeah. As I'm sure many of you guys disagree with stuff we say, but that, and that's fine. But the point is you're still going through it, and you're still able to talk about it. It's a conversation. It's not a debate. That's the point. Are you kidding me? I have, I have, I have no controversial takes. Jesus, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. None. Jesus never uh, took a power of positive thinking course or had a Dale Carnegie course. Or <laughs> as a salesman. But he never had any of Just think how many followers he could have had if he eliminated – all the negative things that he said. Mm -hmm. If he right. stopped calling people brood of vipers. Yeah. And, You're right. Yeah. <laughs> if, he just took, if he just took the sin and, and hell and, and all that out. Right. How many followers he could be at? How many people wanted to stone him? It's ridiculous. <laughs> top influencer. Yeah. 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 Day, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you think about that, it, that way, it, it puts it in perspective, right? So the next point here of Progressive Christianity, they affirm that the teachings of Jesus provide but one of many ways to experience God, the sacredness, oneness, and unity of life, and that we can draw from diverse sources of wisdom, including earth, in our spiritual journey. 
the, just reason, more... the reason they keep putting God in quotations, by the way, is because many of the leading progressive theologians are also openly agnostic. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's, not, that's not me making a joke. That's no. true. They'll, they'll most say, yeah. of, most yeah. of them agree with the New Testament Apocrypha, and they go through the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of yeah, Peter, yeah. and they're like, oh, yeah, it's there. Mm-hmm. So they're agno- they'll say they're agnostic. We don't, we don't know if there's a God, but they, they want a spiritual experience. Well, they, they, they are um, not just an ordinary agnostic. An ordinary agnostic, I'm not sure. I, you know, I didn't know about that. Let me research it. They're um, obstinate yeah. agnostics. You can't know. It's basically what they're... Yeah, it's impossible to know. Right. Yeah. And and the Bible is full of these things we've written so that you may know. Yeah. What does Luke say? So you have certainty in the things that you have learned. Yeah. Yeah. A couple things I want to point out that are subtle and kind of small. Um, When you start seeing your church, you start seeing people that that you listen to or or, or, other pastors you listen to outside of here, start using this word here, diverse. Yep. Uh, are, are we opposed to diversity? No, right? I mean, um, I, I, yeah, diver- diversity of what? Well, that's yeah. Are we yes. are we opposed to the idea of diversity? Absolutely not. Like you know, the Bible talks about every tongue will confess every knee is going to bow. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Pentateuch, right? ethne, nations, multiple that, nations. Languages. That is all languages, the ethnicities, the two genders. Like that is that is every. We are obviously open to diversity, but what what's happening is they're taking this word. And they're using it in a way of like, okay, we need to, uh, you know, diverse get, for the sake of diversity, and to step away from the white oppression and white supremacy yeah. that that they claim the Bible teaches and yeah. they claim the Bible, you know, leads to this Even idea of oppression. Split side note: No white man ever wrote the Bible. <laughs> <That's not laughs> they were Jews. Very dark. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that, but that's not the narrative that we have right now, right? The narrative is that the church, especially the Western church, is oppressive. It's white, white-centric and oppressive. And so when you start to hear these words, again, this word in and of itself isn't a bad thing. And this idea of diversity isn't a bad thing. It's how they're defining these words and what they're using them for and what their end game is. So, again, when I hear this word, my red flags kind of go up. Just, okay, what do they mean by that? How are they defining that word? Because, again, what happens is we're defining words completely differently with, with a lot of these people. It's the same with the word inclusive. They do the same thing. Inclusive, all-inclusive. Yeah, we want to include everybody to come to worship here. But that doesn't mean that they're using the word all-inclusive like you want them, you agree with their lifestyle. And if you disagree, that means you are filled with hate. Yep. Right. And that's yep. wrong. That's not what that word means. And you're right. not included. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, another one that you kind of think it's kind of subtle in here is including Earth in our spiritual journey. Um, they, they're that the whole green energy movement, right? Again, take care of the Earth. Absolutely. Like, do we throw my plastic cup out of the car on the on the highway? No. What do they call it? Mother. Mother. Mother Earth. Earth. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Which goes back. Which goes all the way back to Babylon, and it, you see it in the end. The mystery of Babylon, that this woman, yeah, right, and, and it's a whole different topic that we don't, we're not right. going to get into. But like <laughs> the, the idea that they're using the word Earth here, they're using that kind of green ideology to drive a political point home. It goes beyond taking care of the Earth and being good stewards of what we're given, because right. that's biblical. That's what we should do. We should take care of the Earth and be good stewards. We don't just trash the, you know, trash things right. and you know, destroy for the sake of destruction. 
But what are they meaning when they're saying these terms? So again, if you start hearing this on people you listen to, churches you're going to, and you start hearing some of these words, you have to ask yourself, what do they actually mean by these words? How are they defining these terms? Because that's important. You know, again, because we can, again, nuggets of truth in some of this, right? But what are the, how are they defining things? So let's go to the third one, maybe. This is exactly what Chuck just said. Nope, nope it's not. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> That's what it said. Yeah. <laughs> Seek and create community that is inclusive of all people, including, but not limited to. I don't know why I do that. It's, it's fine. Uh, conventional Christians and questioning skeptics, believers and agnostics, those of all races, cultures, and nationalities, those of all sexual orientations and gender identities, those of all classes and abilities, those historically marginalized, and all creatures and plant life. <laughs> I think that one's actually kind of newly added, the plant life, honestly. Because when I read that, after going through this again, I'm like, I don't remember seeing that the first time. When, I went when we did it the first time, that wasn't there. It yeah. has to be because people can now identify as flowers. Yeah. That's got to be it. You can marry a tree. <laughs> Brought my wife today, that is a houseplant. <laughs> my other wife's at home. She's planted in the front yard. So, again, it's that same word that Chuck just used, inclusive. What is it, what are they meaning by the word inclusive? And so, it's not just inclusive, it's affirming. Okay, it is, it is saying that you can live however you want to live. You can identify as whatever gender you want to identify as. I saw one uh, that just blew my mind, which doesn't happen very often because I'm kind of cynical at this point to a lot of this stuff. But uh, they, they apparently, there's now a new thing where you can identify as an emoji. That's your, that is your now, your gender identity as an emoji. This particular person that I watched uh, identified as the tooth emoji. Right, well, it, was, it was a her, I think. And 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 this this person would say, okay, how do you how, how do you uh, make a sentence with with tooth emoji? And it's tooth went to the store to get tooth self a hairbrush. Wow, that tooth needs a new dentist. <laughs> yeah, so we laugh about it. It is comical, but like it's legitimately a thing. I think our laughter can even be a defense mechanism to say there's no way people believe in this stuff. No, yeah. and, but okay, but they do. Like it, it is. Like it's not actually funny, but you have to laugh so that it's not awkward. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that one may be an extreme example, but again, it's not just including them; it's affirming everything they claim to believe. Uh, I identify. I think there was one I saw. I'm a demon and demon self, and that's how they identified. And, and that's not unpopular. It's no. not. Yeah, it's probably it's probably true. Dominance <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Legion. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So again, when you start to hear this language, this type of language, as when your red flags go up, and you start to go back to the Bible that we've talked about for the last five weeks, get back into the Scripture, see what it says. Does this match up with what the Bible talks about? If the answer is no. Start sounding the alarms. You, you, you call people out. You defend the faith. Use apologetics. Defend yes. what you believe and why you believe it and say why this is nonsense and it's dangerous. Because it is. Yeah. Next. Not next. It's 1130. That's, no, we go until they're done. 
We're fine. <laughs> go quick. Go quick. All right. All right. All right. All right. One more. We're one more. We'll get one more in. Here we go. Number four. Know that the way we behave towards one another and Earth is the fullest this expression. This was no fun. This was no fun. This is another one. Is the full expression of what we believe. Therefore, we vow to walk as Jesus might have walked in this world with radical compassion, inclusion, and bravery to confront and positively change the injustices we experience as well as those we see others experiencing. Okay, first section. Know that the way we behave towards one another and the earth is the fullest expression of what we believe. That is true. How we act towards each other. How we even act towards earth and how we are good stewards, we are to take dominion over the earth. That that is an expression of what we believe. That that's what we've been taught by scripture. But then it keeps going. Therefore, we vow to walk as Jesus might might have walked in this world with radical compassion. Might. They don't actually say that he did walk this earth. Or they are. Our current culture is radically different than theirs as far as the issues that we face and right. the things that they we... They want to move to their imagination. That's what yeah. they're trying to do with this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and radical compassion. Was Jesus compassion? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Did he show radical compassion? He did. I mean, he was countercultural when it came when it come to uh, uh, how he treated women and yeah. how he interacted with women. Absolutely, he was countercultural. And he was radically compassionate to those people who think about the woman at the well. Right, you think about Mary Magdalene and how he treated the women in his life with radical compassion. Absolutely, yeah. but again, how are they defining these terms? So again, when you hear these things, ask yourself: How are they defining the terms? Inclusion, we talked about that at length, and bravery to confront and positively change the injustices we experience. Again, another word that when you hear it from your church or hear it from your someone teaching, that word should again raise a red flag. Ask yourself, how are they defining injustice? Nine times out of ten, I guarantee you, they're using it in a racial sense. Yeah. Right? It's this, again, this racial ideology, critical race theory, social justice theory that has its roots back in, in the French, back in, yeah. uh, what, what was critical theory? We talked about this. 1940s uh, Frankfurt <laughs> School. Germany. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, this idea that the systems of power in place and the church being one of those systems of power are oppressive. Right. And create injustice. And create... Side note, Germany kicked them out, and they came to America, and they flourished. In case that says anything. Yes. Probably California. Just right. have, like, a question. It says Jesus, like, bravery to confront and positively, whatever. But does progressive Christianity ever confront anybody? They confront us. They confront honestly. us. That's it. Yeah, they confront us saying that what we believe is wrong. That was a good question. <laughs> yeah. So we're now going to go through the rest of them. Uh, if you guys want to look up the rest, you can. But well, I told Brad to send out the uh, no. that don't worry too. About it. I keep adding yeah. to it. I don't want to send out 15 emails. All right. There may, there may be another one coming, <laughs> but a lot of it is uh, goes back to the social gospel movement um, that back in the 1800s, where they abandoned the um, the Bible as truth. Um, some of the denominations and slowly move toward a social gospel. So we will change everything by taking over the governments and the schools and the yeah, this yeah. And that. Um, not that we aren't as Christians to be involved in all those things. Right. But Christ didn't call us to go. Christ himself didn't go up to Caesar and say, you're out. I'm in. I'm going to fix all this. 
right? It's that was actually later, what led his on. crucifixion, right? Yeah, yeah, it's later it's on. It's later yeah. on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's what led his crucifixion. He wasn't a political force that everyone wanted right. him to be. So in, in, the, in, in the meantime, we are to, to spread the gospel because that's the only power that can really fix it. <laughs> well, and so this gets in last topic, and then we'll let you go. Um, I did not coin this phrase. This is by Brian Sauvey. It's called biblical minimalism. It's, okay, take your, your country, USA, England, whatever it may be, Middle Earth. <laughs> you have your castles that are foundational to the strategic defense of your country, okay? You have, uh, d- depending on where they are, whatever. So America, you in each state you have a castle. That castle is defended by an army. It is full to the brink. It is fully equipped we're going biblically, we are fully equipped for everything. So each castle is equipped, prepared. Biblical minimalism is what we are going through today. When you get these guys that get together, these councils, so the Baptists, the Methodists, they come together. What do they do? They come together and say, okay, what can we agree on? And it's like, oh, Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, as of right now, we agree with that. But Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Son of God. He, he came to earth, Virgin Mary. He, he lived. He died. He came back to life. He ascended into heaven. Okay, that is our capital. That is our, our central defense. That's D.C. The essentials of the faith. The, that, that is center. My argument is every single one of those castles are essential. So you have the castle of creation. You have the castle of biblical roles, um, womanhood, manhood, what they're supposed to do. You have all these castles that we are supposed to defend and keep. But what happens is we go straight to, okay, well, what can we agree on? And, okay, we agree on this. We don't agree on this. Okay, well, I'll, I'll set that to the side, and we'll just focus on this. So what do we do? We abdicate. Each castle we say, okay— we are getting into a disagreement with someone on, okay, uh, old earth, new earth, or uh, just creation versus uh, evolution. It's like, oh, okay, well, we don't agree on it, so let it go. We'll, we'll go back to this. So what you're doing is you're saying, you can have my castle. Oh, and the army in it, you can have it. They, guys give up. And they, they have the castle now. And what you do is you lose all these castles, all the way to where you only have your capital, your central defense. Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Okay, well now the entire enemy has all your castles and they are surrounding you at your gates. As Peter says, Satan is roaming around like a lion searching those to devour. He's walking around the gates because we have given up all the rest. We can't do that. We need to be of the mindset of, uh, I can't call it biblical maximalism because that's an entirely actually coined phrase and don't, yeah. But it's, we need to look at scripture as a whole and we need to defend it as a whole. When someone says, I don't agree with creation to, yeah, you don't want to fight with them, but you still need to hold your ground and you cannot give that castle up because as soon as that castle has gone, as soon as every castle is gone and you only have one left, now what? There's no one coming to your defense. There is, there is no one else that will come and help you with that defense. Why? 
Because, okay, now you go back to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Okay, what solidifies Christ's reign? The entire Bible. The entire Old Testament points to Christ. But if you've given up the Old Testament, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, why? Because you say so? You have no authority. There is no more scripture. You don't, you don't take scripture as a whole anymore. So giving up Genesis, giving up the Genesis uh, creation, giving up um, how God instituted man and woman, you've given that up. So, okay, well, why is Christ a man? Why can't he be a woman? Which that is a deconstruction point. It's, oh, well, actually... Scripture doesn't actually say that God is a man or God is of that male figure. It's like, oh, well, actually, it well, no, because you've, you've given up all the other surrounding castles. It, and it, it is very important. We need to be of the mindset of, one, keep your castles. Keep all of them. Defend all of them. And it is very tiring because you're going to have to sprint to each castle to defend it. And that takes knowledge of Scripture. That, that is the point of our apologetics. To know what you believe, why you believe it, and being able to convey that effectively. And recognize when this crap gets put in. Sorry for yeah. saying the word crap. Twice. Yeah, come on, man. But, <laughs> well, I'm from a sewer pipe, so... Yeah. <laughs> um, and to recognize when this stuff is creeping in. And to understand, hey, these red flags should be going off because you're starting to hear some of this from your pulpit, from your stage, from Sunday school classes... And you don't abandon ship. You don't jump off necessarily. I mean, there is a point where you do have to leave and go somewhere else, but you fight. And you fight for your church. You fight for the congregation. You fight for the truth. And that's the whole point of what I've been doing for the last couple of years and what Austin and I have been doing for the last year and a half or so. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. Any last questions? Concerns? Uh, the, uh, oh, sorry. No, I, I just dressing. Uh, on the, the castles, because I've always... You know, you find if it's not a salvation issue, it's not, you know, it's good for argument. Uh, old Earth, New Earth. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the way I was thinking, this may be wrong now that I'm listening to it, it was not a, you know, I'm, I believe the Earth is six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand years old. And that's what I believe. I believe six days, six days. Right. But to say that, to just sit there and just argue it. Right. Is to the point of exhaustion, is that I was thinking, you know, you have castles and maybe you have hamlets too. Right. Is is that, you know, well, and there, saved, right. and there is arguments. a difference between arguments and conversations. Yeah. As Christians, as fellow brothers and sisters, we are to have a conversation. This is not an argument, this is not a debate. If you are having a conversation on new earth versus old earth, it's not, okay, well, we don't agree, so we're just not going to talk about it anymore. It's, I, I believe this, you believe this, let's talk about it. If we can't come to a resolution, fine. I still believe this. My castle is still here. Well, and I'm going to say one more thing and then we'll, we'll dismiss. Um, that's, where you, that's where we start talking about the meat of Scripture versus the milk. Right. Where, yes, for new believers, we focus on salvation, we focus on grace, we focus on that, that conversion and, and what to do after that, right? And the obedience that follows. And then as they grow in their faith, they don't stay right there with just Jesus as Lord, which, of course, that is, the, that is it. That's the foundation. They don't just stop there. They go deeper. And they get into these creation. They get into biblical roles. They get into all that other things as they go deeper, as they grow in their faith, to 
move on beyond just that milk, that that basic understanding. And so that's where my kind of where I would differentiate that is say, yes, it's not a salvation issue, but as you grow and mature, you need to start wrestling with those things yeah. and start shoring up your defenses on those issues. So, yeah. um, Simon, close this out. Please. Please. <laughs> Father God, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you so much for uh, the worship that we got to take part in this morning, the uh, coffee that uh, energizes all this morning, Lord. Thank you for uh, the sermon that we got to hear, the uh, lesson that we just learned, Lord. Thank you for Dennis and the communion meditation and, and the communion that we all took together as a fellowship of believers, Lord. Lord, help us to take what we learned today to go into the world and for us to uh, bravely confront, as, as Jesus did in, in those pillars, Lord, bravely confront uh, sin where we see it, though, Lord, and, and heresy where we see it, Lord, and help us to unify the church, um, not through giving up the scripture, but on your scripture, Lord. Help us to glorify you in all that we do and all that we say, and for us to be back at church as often as we can be uh, with the fellowship of believers, Lord. We love you guys in the name. Amen. Amen. Amen.